This is Growth Decoded to Go, a podcast from a show that helps you grow your business by figuring out the customer experience, one piece at a time. We do this to share our findings with you, wherever you are. Because this podcast is only the audio portion of the show, there might be some references to visuals. But don't fret, because we've included links to the video version of the show in the podcast description. All right, let's get into it. Ahoy there, Internet, and welcome back to Growth Decoded, a show from Active Campaign about the customer experience that also happens to have a plant as a co-host. I'm Ernie Santarelli, and this is the show's head of growth and chief chlorophyll officer, Plantasia. What? What? Plantasia, Plantasia, you, you crack me up, but, but well said. Okay, there's a big misconception when it comes to marketing and messaging strategy. And that misconception is something along the lines of, if you build brand awareness, your audience and business will grow. And at a 50,000 foot view, there are elements of truth to that. But this misconception leads to a misplaced action and driving desire to build awareness as fast as possible to build as much awareness as possible. Because if you build it, they will come. But not according to Jay Akunzo. In Jay's estimation, we focus too much on marketing and too little on mattering. His solution? Don't market more, matter more. If you've read anything online about content or email marketing, brand awareness, demand or lead generation, or nurturing leads into customers, you've probably come across a particular word. And that word is resonate. They'll say, your messages have to resonate with your audience, or uh, pay attention to what resonates and create more of it. Or if your messaging lacks resonance, your audience won't grow because nobody will care. But what does it actually mean to resonate with something? What is resonance? What's the formula for creating it? Now I'd define it now, but I'm gonna leave that up to our guest because the answer may surprise you. It also might require a shifting of your focus from trying to explain and convince new leads that you're the best product, service, solution, or business on the market, but rather to prove to your audience that you could be their favorite. Today's guest, Jay Akunzo, sat down with me and explained why. I am now joined by Jay Akunzo. Jay is the author of books like The Creator's Compass and Break the Wheel, Question, Question Best Practices, Hone Your Intuition, and Do Your Best Work. He is the host of the popular podcast, Unthinkable, creator of the Playing Favorites newsletter. He's a showrunner, a consultant, a coach, um, and a course creator with which with his course, sorry, Growable Shows, being a huge resource for this show right here, right now. We took that before we launched Growth Decoded. Jay, welcome to the show. Ernie, great to be here. It's awesome to see the the mechanics of the show as it's unfolding, get behind the scenes after you took the course. It's, I, there's nothing better for someone who created a course than to actually like participate in the creative that emerged from it. So thanks for having me. I, yeah, it, it feels like a very full circle kind of moment uh, here too. It's it's awesome. Thank you again for the time. Um, sure. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, so I kind of want to kick things off with this idea that you've been championing. Um, and it's about mattering more. So your course, Growable Shows, has a headline on the landing page that says, don't make a show, make a difference. Your website's headline is don't market more, matter more. So can you talk a little bit about like what you mean by that? Um, what What does it mean to focus on things that matter? Yes, it comes down to one word, which I think is profoundly either misunderstood or not understood to marketers, to small business owners, to freelancers, people who are trying to create and disseminate a message and, and trigger an action that benefits their business. The word is resonance. 
I think a lot of us assume that if we grow the top of the funnel, if we increase our reach, then that takes care of something after that in some magical way. And so a lot of marketing devolves into the race for awareness, but awareness is not useful unless it is followed by affinity. And that's far more difficult than getting in front of somebody, mm. making, making sure they care. That's actually the job of marketing is to ensure they care, to create messages and experiences and content to ensure that others on the receiving end actually care. So if reach is how many see it, then resonance is how much they care. And it's from that idea of resonance that we find all of our results because we don't sell ad sales. We don't sell impressions. We sell products and services. We need people to take actions. Nice that they know we exist, but that doesn't really matter in our businesses. They have to care. They have to take action. And without resonance, you don't get action, which means you don't get results. So I think we're all in the resonance business because we're all in the business of triggering some kind of action from our audience. And I just don't think we have stopped to realize that. It's so tempting to chase reach. It's so uh, soothing to our egos to see some kind of viral hit, or it's so uh, damaging to our egos to see folks out there with massive follower counts or you know some big top line number. But that is not the job. The job is absolutely resonance. It's the premium marketing skill today. And I've been on this personal mission to try and explore it, understand it, find commonalities with people who, who do it, are their methodologies, what can we learn from the sciences, and, and to make sure people embrace it more fully. Mm, I love that. And yeah, there is there's definitely this like, you see numbers all the time where it's like, you got to be in front of people x amount of times before they take action, or you know, all these sort of little buzzwordy like stats that you might see that really point towards that, like just grow the awareness, grow the impressions, grow the engagements, etc. With there's there's like this weird underlying misunderstanding that it's like, if you just get in front of them, if you build it, they will come kind of mentality. And it feels like you're saying no, there's there's a few steps, there's a lot of important things that happen in between that it's not just getting in front of them repeatedly, it's getting them in front of them with something that to your point resonates, creates affinity and matters. I love that. Right. My, my, the word is favorite, the pinnacle of resonance is to be someone's favorite to have this irrational, positive bias come your way from whoever you serve. So like, I think about this, when I when I see especially B2B marketers, but it happens in all sectors scramble and fall over themselves trying to be number one in the category or try to be the biggest and declare that they're the best. Like the right. goal is not to be the best. The goal is to be their favorite. You know, your favorite shirt. I'm wearing my favorite hoodie right now. Um, my, my wife does not consider this to be her favorite hoodie that I own for the purposes of looking at me every day in my work from home situation. Uh, but it is my favorite hoodie and nothing that she can say to me is going to change that. I have this irrational bias towards it. It doesn't mean it's the best made hoodie. It doesn't mean it's objectively the number one ranked. It also doesn't mean that someone else telling me don't wear it, wear something else is going to persuade me. Uh, my favorite basketball team, my favorite sports team is the New York Knicks. Like if you know sports, you know, the Knicks are among the worst. So the crazy realization that I had when starting to study resonance and seeing being favorite, uh, seeing favoritism as, as the pinnacle of resonance is like, wow, I actually picked and love the worst in the cohort. I mean, really think about that. It's because I have an emotional attachment to the team. And we all have that to restaurants, to apps, to coffee brands. Like it doesn't matter what it is. If you can become their favorite, then you have such a protective moat around your brand that no one else who is objectively bigger, better, trendier, what it doesn't matter because they don't have that emotional tug to you. Um, because that's how people make choices. Again, even in B2B is it's an emotional decision. And then we rationalize it afterwards as to why we picked it. So don't be the best, be their favorite. Even if that means you're not the biggest and best. I think that's great news for most of us running businesses today, because most of us are not the biggest 
most of us are not ranked number one. Right. It's like armor that like can't be penetrated. That's, that's awesome. So I guess like the next question then that would follow, or at least in my mind is like, how do you create that content? How do you get to a point where you're, what you're saying is something that actually matters is, is, you know, yeah. resulting in resonance and affinity. Like, how do you, how do you get there? And right. do, you, do you know what it is before you make it? Like, well, how does that work? There's a lot of ways to come at this question. I think it's a really important one. I, I would actually, you know, in a, in a fun, sometimes maybe weird way, I'd point to the sciences of resonance. Uh, the science of resonance, it's about audio or vibrations. It's about frequencies. What you learn there is profoundly impactful for what we're doing as marketers and communicators today. When a frequency matches the same frequency of another system, that second system is amplified. Now that sounds kind of dense and technical, but I'll give you a really easy example. I have a three-year-old. I love pushing her on the swings and she loves it too. But I know if I don't match her natural frequency as she swings, I can't amplify her speed or her reach beyond the norm. I can't push her that far. Mm. If I push her too soon, that means that she's actually coming back towards me and I introduce friction and slow her down. If I push her too late, I might miss her or at least my push is ineffectual. But if I can push her at the exact right moment, in other words, my addition, my frequency matches her natural frequency, she's amplified. So literally in the sciences, resonance is an energy transfer between one system to another and the second one becomes amplified. Mm. That's what we experience emotionally when we experience a podcast, a speaker, uh, a song, a uh, website homepage, a bit of copy, anything that resonates with us, it starts from a place of alignment. No alignment, no feeling of, wow, they get me, or wow, I feel seen, or yes, this. No feeling of being amplified. And so I define resonance as the sudden urge to act, which again, we all want, that we experience when a message or some other experience matches us and our lives so closely that our thoughts, our emotions, even our abilities feel somehow amplified. So when, when I, when, if you're listening to this and you're trying to wrap your head around this nebulous idea of resonance, think about three words that all start with A. It's align, amplify, act. If you can align with your message, if they feel seen, they feel like you're standing shoulder to shoulder and you've tapped somehow the personal emotional reason they care about something, then that alignment creates this feeling of being amplified because you're giving language to what they couldn't figure out the words for before, or mm. you're speaking the unspoken. Maybe they're not empowered to take to task something broken about their industry or their jobs or their lives, but you raise your hand and say, this is bad, right? And wouldn't this be better? And they go, thank you. Right? That's a feeling of alignment or feeling seen. And they feel amplified. And we've all experienced this, Ernie. We've all come across a person or a brand where that happens to us, but it feels like it's lightning striking. Right. And I think you can actually bottle this. It's not lightning striking. It's crafted. It's considered. So back to your question of how do we do this? How do we matter more? It starts by delivering a message that helps the audience feel seen. And my favorite example recently comes from a company that sounds really boring, but is but did this really well. It's called they're called 360 Learning. It's a company out of the UK that sells uh, learning management software. It's LMS or learning management system. They have tons and tons, dozens of competitors that sell training software to other brands. And about two years ago, they created an original documentary series called Onboarding Joey, where their new head of content, Joey Chan, was filmed in her early experience of learning this new job, learning about this new company in her onboarding experience. And they put on display all these unspoken things 
the friction she felt with her boss when she realized the budget totals she was promised in the interview process was a little bit overpromised and wasn't real. The uh, confusion of like, how many channels do we have to publish content to? Are you serious? I'm a one person team here. All these things were hesitant to admit out loud publicly for fear of feeling weaker or suddenly having imperfections by admitting them and putting them on camera during the onboarding process of this one individual, all of the prospects and customers that 360 Learning hoped to sell to or did sell to and hoped to retain felt very seen. And so this series was so resonant. It was just beloved in their space. And so this company was able to basically punch above their weight class because they didn't have you know, a whole production crew. It was one videographer making a pretty great series. But the message of that series the thing they said mattered so deeply to the audience. In other words, aligned with their actual experience of what it's like to be a new person at a job right? or a person at a new job that in a way that other companies weren't willing to admit. So they helped their audience feel seen. That's why they resonated. Mm. That, that definition, like going to the actual science of what is resonance. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm a musician. And so like, I am familiar with like the sonic concept of resonance, yeah, yeah. but when you say it like that, you start to see it, or at least I did while you were saying that, you just start to see it in all of the different interactions that you have, like which were the ones that are actually meaningful? Well, they're the ones that resonate because it's like the momentum of both people is going in the same direction and it joins forces, almost like two waves yes. coming together and creating yes. a bigger wave. That is like, it's a very helpful way to just like think about it. But because again, you know, resonant, resonate, resonate with your audience, et cetera, is one of those words that just gets thrown around all the time. Right. What uh, does it mean? Like, right. of course we want it, but what does it mean? Of course we don't want just followers. We want super fans. Great. Like what's the difference? And you know, what's the pathway there? It's an emotional one. It's, it's one of this, this idea of, of resonance. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up um, music because I think this is something that it's easy for me to say if you write copy, you can align with your audience, you can acknowledge what they're going through. But what about things where you're, there's no words, like the instrumental part of music, or the tone of a podcast, mm. you know, or even like the manipulation of words, like I think about being a father, and having all this stress on my plate, and having to, you know, balance my job and my home life, and then my daycare emails me paragraph upon paragraph of just dense language to tell me to do one thing. Well, what if they said, Hey, Jay, here's what we need from you. Bullet one, bullet two, bullet three. And here's when we need it by. They're helping me feel seen, even though they aren't saying overtly, you're going through a stressful period of your life and we don't want to over communicate. So we'll keep this brief. They didn't say that, but they were able to empathize with the situation of their audience, parents of young children and deliver a message or deliver the structure of that message in such a way that I felt implicitly seen. Mm. So yes, you can overtly help someone else feel seen by what you're saying, but also the tone, how you're delivering it, the feel of what you deliver can be another way to align with people too. So it's not just the words you pick, it's how you deliver them too. Yeah, hundred percent. So this is interesting because this is, you know, episode I don't know, 20 something that we've done of the show. And throughout the course of the show, like two trends emerge in every single conversation. And it's like, if you want to be successful and provide a good experience, you need to one, know your customer and two, manage their expectations. And like, that really kind of gets into the, the expectation piece of it, because it feels like, you know, to resonate with someone, the same message might resonate with someone on Tuesday, but based on that situation, like it might not resonate with them on Thursday because of all those extemporaneous circumstances that are kind of going on. So it's a really interesting point 
that you just, that you bring up where it's like the way in which you say something at that moment in time could also have an impact on what they're expecting and when, and what the situation is. Um, it's just a, the concept, I'm going to have to think about this for, for a while. So this is, I mean, this is awesome. Um, so I want to kind of move from then, you know, once you have this idea of creating content that matters, content that resonates, I want to talk about getting the word out, like actually getting that message to the people who need to hear it and, you know, growing your audience, growing your list. So how do you think about the task of like growth? Is that something that you should focus on explicitly? Is it a byproduct of just creating the stuff that matters and doing the good work? Um, or is it some balance of both? Yeah, you know, it's funny, there's there's something called Goodhart's law that comes to mind, which says that when when a measure or a metric becomes the target, it ceases to be a good measure. So when we say something like, grow the podcast uh, 50% this quarter, and you know, we're talking about maybe downloads or, or total listens or whatever. Side note, downloads just mean the, the file was taken offline. Doesn't mean anyone listened to it. Oftentimes, the apps suck off the file automatically. So the listener didn't even choose to download it. So downloads, eh, a little bit of a blurry metric. That's neither here nor there. But the metric itself tends to be the goal we articulate. And that makes sense. But really, the metrics we have at our disposal are how we measure our progress towards the goal. And our goals that we set should sound like some flavor of make a difference, right? Mm. For, so let's create the, I'm trying to think of a really good one. Um, let's create the world's strongest coffee. We're in product development mode as a coffee business. Let's create the world's strongest coffee. By the way, this brand exists. They're called Death Wish Coffee. It's two and a half times the average cup in their cup of coffee, Death Wish Coffee. They have even stronger versions as well. It's insane. I vibrate when I drink it. Um, which is Jeez. bad because I'm already pretty energetic. So that's a change you're trying to make. Let's create the industry's most entertaining podcast about marketing. You know, these are crude, you know, they deserve a little bit more vetting, these phrases I'm using, but these are crude examples, but ultimately directionally correct. That's a goal. How do you measure that goal? Feels ephemeral, right? It is a change you're making, but it's not quite binary. Well, we have all these metrics at our disposal right? So like the coffee one's easy, the percent caffeine, you know, et cetera, but maybe there's milestones in between the podcast. Okay. Well, one sign that we've created this really beloved entertaining show about marketing is downloads, but we need a portfolio approach. Cause does that tell us we've done it? Not really. It's directional, but what else can we have? Well, let's take another type of data. It's called feedback from our audience because data is not numbers. Data is information stored for later use one type of which is numbers. So if we're really going to value data, we should look at all types of data because we have pride in our data, qualitative feedback. Are we getting uh, comments that sound like, wow, this is really enjoyable or, oh, wow, how refreshing is this compared to them? I usually don't listen to marketing podcasts, but I love this one, right? Mm. Let's look at that kind of data. So when we talk about growth, we have to talk about the means in the end separately and we often conflate the two. It's like, we're going to grow our business so that we can grow. But actually, you're growing your business so that you can affect change for your audience. When I worked for HubSpot, Darmesh Shah, the CTO and co-founder, used to always say, solve for the customer. And then he'd say, but why aren't we giving away our product for free, everyone? It's like, because if we go out of business, we can't really solve for the customer. So they framed growth as we want to help affect change among our audience and to do that, necessarily, we do have to measure things like audience growth and revenue growth and things like that. So no, it's not as simple as like create awesome stuff and hope people find it. You have to go out to your audience, but I think you should participate 
with that audience because you're trying to affect change. So you need things like trust. You need to hold attention, not just grab it. Of course, do what sounds like promotion. But remember, the goal is change. And the metric is how you measure your progress towards that change. And as we get better at defining those two, I think our businesses get better as well. Mm, I love that. And I think like the, that, so that it, it almost comes down to like a lack of specificity when you're just talking about like growth, right? Like you mentioned those directional measures and like, yes, those are in the right direction, but go a little bit deeper than that. And it seems like in business, a lot of times growth becomes like this fixation, right? Like whatever yep. the number is that you're looking at, like that's the benchmark for success. That's what you're being evaluated against by yourself, by your, your superiors, et cetera. Um, so is it like, is it an issue if a business or creator prioritizes growth over the content or the work? I think we all prioritize growth. I mean, there's no two ways about it. We're not giving away our work for free. We're not giving away our products or services for free, even if we give away certain elements like perhaps content for free. I don't think there's anything wrong with prioritizing growth. I do think it's, there's two thoughts that come to mind. So one is this idea of enough. And the second idea is, how to measure resonance, not just reach, mm. right? How to measure that the work is affecting change, is sparking action, is creating super fans who stick around, the stickiness of that work. Because the alternative is it's like digging holes in dry sand. It's this brute force effort. And as soon as you stop hustling, as soon as you stop exhausting yourself, the walls cave in on you, right? So how do you do things that make the growth easier? That's the question. So let's talk about enough and let's talk about measuring resonance. Enough feels like this distant, finish line. Like if only I had this many followers or this much revenue or whatever. But the more I've done this work, and I have a few gray hairs, I'm not fully gray yet. But the more I realize like enough is a decision you make, it's not a destination you reach. So we can decide for ourselves what is enough. And if mm. you're working for a company that doesn't want to decide that if enough for them is open ended, infinite growth all the time, and that doesn't excite you and that exhausts you. Well, we're speaking to crowds that for the most part, have won the life lottery and can go choose another boss and choose another company. You know, you're going to die someday. Don't waste your precious hours working for companies you fundamentally disagree with on like the emotional belief level. Mm. So enough is a decision you make. What is your enough? The second thing, and this applies to whether you've made that choice or not, is how do you measure resonance? How do you know that you're actually on that right path? Because that gets you out of this mode of endless top line vanity metric growth. Well, try to measure more things that can only be earned and can't be bought. So I can buy traffic. I can buy downloads for my podcast. I can buy emails for my newsletter. I shouldn't, but I, I could. You can't buy someone responding to those emails. You can't buy somebody finishing those podcast episodes. You can't buy somebody continually returning to your email list or to your website rather. So you can buy that reach stuff, you can't buy resonance. That's earned through the experience, through the value you provide, how you convey the experience and deliver it. So as you, as you try to grow, ensure you're measuring both. There are things that whether or not you're buying them, you could buy. And I'm sure that those, those are where we stop our measurement, right? Total mm -hmm. followers, all that stuff. Add to it in this portfolio approach, the metrics that you can only earn. Because when you look harder at those things, that's where like the proof actually is. Am I delivering for this audience and therefore my business? Am I actually resonating? I, I don't know until I start to actually add data to it, right? I'm a hard 
pure, I'm a pure creator at heart. I'm not a hardcore capitalist. I believe that I'm in the right system to bring forth my art, but I'm mostly trying to be an artist. I still believe that data matters in the creative process. It's just that we don't use it correctly. Mm. So don't just measure what can be bought, measure what, what it's also just earned. That's how you measure resonance. Whew, okay. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Jay mentioned a few things there that bear repeating. The first is that our goal as businesses shouldn't be to focus on being the best, but rather focus on being our customer's favorite brand. This reframing and refocusing does a few things. First, it makes for a more attainable goal because after all, what does it mean to be the best business? It's hard to define. It's impossible to attain because who's to say that you're actually the best? Focusing instead on being their favorite being the best in their eyes and minds, and not objectively, this clarifies your messaging. It'll clarify your thought process on what to do or say next. Now second, and most importantly, it shifts the focus of your messaging and your marketing efforts off of your own business and onto your customers and your audience. As we've explored on this show, the best messaging and marketing efforts are those that solve the problems for your audience. When you put your customer at the forefront of your marketing efforts, it creates so many more options, and it informs your ability to create messaging that does in fact resonate. And that's why the first of the three A's that Jay mentioned is align. Aligning with your audience first lets you get in sync with their vibrations, if we're thinking about resonance from a scientific point of view. But once you're aligned with them, their problems, their needs, their desires, it makes it so much easier to amplify, the second A, your message and amplify your ability to connect with them. You're able to amplify their engagement and attention and amplify your relationship with them. And that makes it so much easier for you to inspire action. The third A. When you're working to create messaging that matters, messaging that resonates, it all starts with alignment. Without alignment, there's no amplification and it's much harder to inspire your audience to take action. Now, let's go back to Jay to hear about how these concepts apply to direct communication with your audience through email and through one-to-one -one interactions. It's interesting while you were saying that's like measuring resonance, that's sort of like the measure of the metrics that matter to tell you that the work that you're doing matters in like a, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just like those are those things that you said that you have to earn that you can't buy. Like those are really the things that you know you're making that difference. You know that you're mattering and those are the metrics that matter to you to get to that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. So I want to kind of transition a little bit towards email as well. Um, it's, it's not the flashiest of channels, it's sort of this like old faithful, weird connotative, like, yeah, well, there's always email. We can always just send out that message and, and communicate with our audience. Um, so I kind of feel like it takes a backseat and sometimes it's a little self-serving. Um, you just want to let everybody know and bombard everybody with like the latest and greatest stuff that you've been doing. You know, <laughs> that's, here's such, that's such a wild assumption that people make, isn't it? Like, it's like saying like, I wish a bunch of people would come watch me outside, deliver my speech, but it's really hard to collect an audience in front of me, AKA that's social media. So, but I can always walk into a restaurant and start bear hugging people, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could, you could do that, but like, that's different than being good at it, right? It's like, you could email people. That's way different than being good at it. hundred <laughs> percent. Actually having relationships with people. Right. And it's like this weird, it's sort of a byproduct. I think of just like, you know, everybody's kind of fascinated by themselves. And so it's like, I think that because I, one, you may have signed up for my email list and because I'm creating this stuff, it's just like this inherent assumption that, oh, you signed up for my email list. Therefore I now have 
warranted the ability to just send you each and everything that I that I create. Um, and so I, I'm curious, how do you approach email? Like, how do you look at it as a channel? How do you yeah. how do you create emails? So I'm an independent creator. the The bulk of my business is um, from activities like consulting brands, mostly B2B, developing shows for those brands, audio and video, often as the host, sometimes behind the scenes just to develop the strategy, um, small group coaching, public speaking. These are high ticket items. Like they're not cheap. I'm not selling a $100 course to 200,000 people. Um, and so I need trust. That's the backbone of my business. And the best channel, if you want to call it that, to earn trust is email. And I, so I run a, a every, an every other week newsletter for years and years and years. I've done a weekly email and to improve my writing and to deliver more value for my audience, I needed more time in my day. So now it's every other week. Um, it's a very simple model. It's, I have a premise for just like building a show. I have a premise for the email. It's a news, it's a product. What is this exploring and why not just the topics, but the angle into those topics, the hook, the conceit, right? So the newsletter is called playing favorites. And the idea here is to help people stop trying to be the best and learn how to be their favorite. So how do we create work that resonates deeply with our audiences? Yes, so we can grow our brands and leave our legacies and all the things we talk about that feel more me focused, um, of course. But so I have a premise. And then how do I deliver on that premise? I'm making a promise to the audience that every time I show up, I'm going to deliver value and earn the right to speak to them. And even though I just said audience and them, it's really one person. It's one person opening that email. It's not, hey, you all, or the YouTube classic thing like, hey, guys, welcome to my channel. Jump cut, jump cut, jump cut. Like, what? who? I'm looking around at these YouTubers, and I'm like, in my office alone, like, where? You said, hey, guys. Like, where are all the guys? I'm alone. <laughs> I'd love to be with the guys, but I'm alone. It's one person you're writing to. That's an intimate relationship. That's something that you should take very seriously. It's not an email blast. You're writing to one individual. So you got to earn the right to do that every time you show up. So my friend Ann Handley loves to say it's about the letter, not the news, right? I know it's called newsletter. It should be letter news sounds kind of weird, but it is about putting the letter first. So every time I show up, I'm, I'm writing a story, delivering a framework, I'm helping re help people rethink things. It's about the value first. And then if I want to, oh, by the way, I'm doing this thing, or oh, by the way, I launched this podcast episode. It's not an alert system. Lord knows we have enough of those. It's not a channel to promote something. It's a, it's a means to deliver a discrete level of value. We have a word for that. It's a product. So that's how I approach email. It is a product that I create and improve. And yes, eventually extract value from. Mm, email is a product. That is, it's such a great way to look at it and really like instill the idea that it is, it is not something to be taken for granted or to be wasted, right? If you're going to send it, then you should absolutely take as much time to deliver as much value to that one person, that one reader as possible. And yeah, it's yeah. There's a simple heuristic for this. Like it, it's especially because sending an email, especially one that has actual value, it's harder than sending a tweet, right? And there's mm. the stakes seem higher. So these things that are a little bit more strategic and require a lot more of our creative powers, um, the, the writer James Clear said it best when he said, can you create a moment where there's a before and after feeling for your audience? There's a before moment and an after moment. Before they had that email arrive and after, something changed, something they were transformed in some way. And that could be as simple as their day got better because you delivered a smile or a jolt of inspiration, or it could be something more transformative than even that. Um, but there's got to be a before and after moment. And we don't often think about that. We think in very selfish terms, which is like, this is a promotional channel. And I'm going to put through this channel 
a call to action. And the only value possible is not if they just open it, but it's if they click a link. And what I'm saying here is like, what if they just opened it and got value in and of itself? Wouldn't it be easier to encourage them to then click a link? Mm. But you're smoothing the average, uh, the edges between experiences. Like that's what content does is it turns every cell you hope to make into an upsell. You read the blog post about, I don't know, running Facebook ads as a small business owner. And well, at the bottom of that blog post, here's the ultimate guide. Would you like that? That's a lot easier than just saying to the world, hey, we have an ultimate guide, right? Like I just wrote a story about uh, the difficult trade-offs we make to grow our business. And by the way, I told a whole story on my podcast, which is way bigger commitment for you, 45-minute story than reading a five-minute email. But because you read the five-minute email about trade-offs, maybe you'll also listen to the story about this wonderful entrepreneur and how she makes trade-offs to grow her business. So you're smoothing the edges. So using email as a blunt force instrument does a disservice both to your business and the audience. It's a lot more nuanced. And so you have to make sure you're thinking about it in that sort of James Clear model of like, there's got to be a before and after, before they get this email and after, what is different when they're done? Yeah, those those bookmark moments. Um, I actually, it's funny that you bring that up, that before and after, like I have a way of when I think about books that I've read, novels, I, I think about, or nonfiction books for that, for that matter. Um, how many times does it make me, you know, put my thumb in between the pages, close it, look off into the distance and go, huh? Yeah. You know, it's like those, those little moments where you're like, Oh, yes. I've never, I've never thought about it like that before. It's an interesting, now, Oh, go like, ahead. Here's the problem though, Ernie, a marketer or a business owner is going to go, how do you measure huzz per email? Like just because you can't generate a chart to show you this worked doesn't mean we can't put on our adult hats you know, I almost said our big boy pants, but that's just like so patronizing and terrible. And also like, it just doesn't, I don't like that. But like, that's kind of what's in my head. It's like, let's be adults about this. Let's be reasonable, mature individuals and recognize just because an analytics tool, whether it's the email platform like ActiveCampaign or some third party tool we use does not show us data points about this. Doesn't mean that we can't intuit that this is worth doing. Right. Like, I don't know where we went so awry that if we didn't have exact numbers for every little thing we do, it wasn't worth doing. Mm. Like you're a smart, capable, good, creative person, you Ernie, but also you, the listener use that. Don't rely on just a tool to tell you you're done the right track. Use your powers that you've been honing for years and years to make that something you can sense or something you get into it by a couple of replies to that email that tells you on the right track. You know, I send, I send my newsletter to thousands of people and I have one metric I care about and I call it my two. So thousands of people like creative people from big brands, small brands, individuals, freelancers, my two, that's all I want. If I get two passionate replies, I'm done. I've done my job that week because one is an outlier, but two, two data points makes a trend. And what I, what I've noticed is when I get my two, it tends to follow that I get more than two. Right. Mm -hmm. That I, it tends to follow that if I syndicate this edition of my newsletter to my blog and then tweet it, people talk about it. It tends to follow that I can put this material in another project and people latch onto it. It's just really strong signal that I'm on the right track, that I have something good in this. There's no chart that's going to show me, you know, a little bell doesn't go off in my office. Congratulations, Google Analytics is signaling you got your two. I can just sort of be strategic about the way I measure my work. Now, again, I'm an individual contributor. I'm not running a whole brand, but let's not throw out our own intuition in order to rely on software. We need right. both. Right. 
Yeah, I saw, um, I think, I, I think it was a tweet that I saw. I can't remember who sent it, but it was like what like the marketing department wants. And it was like email open, email click, landing page visit, landing page conversion, like then you're subscribed to the podcast. And it was like what the listener wants to listen to a podcast. And it was just a very interesting way to look at it. Like, oh, to your point about tracking each and every little thing, maybe we should just be able to give value for the sake of giving value because we know that there is a subdued or nuanced call to action within every single moment that you give something without asking for something in return. Um, yeah, that's a really, that's a really astute observation. You know, what made me think about is I think it comes from a place, a lot of marketing comes from a place of fear, understandably, but we want so desperately to control the outcomes mm. and we don't. The outcomes are merely byproducts of us putting forth our best work. Now that means creating value within the work. That means distributing that work. It doesn't mean we put it on our website and we're praying people arrive. Again, it's not about being an inactive participant. It's about being an active participant in your community. But we don't actually control whether or not they buy. We don't actually control all those metrics that we want to go up. We don't control those. We control the vehicle towards it. We control the means to that end. We do not control the ends. That's really scary. So when I hear marketers talk about generating leads, I'm like, you don't generate leads. You generate the work that others decide, I'll opt into that work. You don't actually generate the lead. That's on them to take an action. Again, full circle to the beginning of this, this interview, do you know how to trigger action in the audience? That's all you can control. Is the work necessary? to trigger action is the work that you can create in such a way that it resonates such that they feel amplified and they go, this is for me. I'm in whatever mm -hmm. the I'm in is for you or for the audience. That's what they decide. I feel amplified. You spoke my language, you aligned with me, and now I'll move forward in the relationship. Well, we right. don't control the decision to move forward. We only control the step before it, the thing that triggered that. So we have to get better at that because that's our livelihood is the thing that resonates, not the result of the resonance. Unfortunately, a lot of us are talking in terms about the results. We don't control that. Mm, it's like that. Uh, I think Ryan Holiday says it a lot. You know, you control the effort, you don't control the results. And it's just, Completely. It's, that's all you can do. Completely. So we've talked a lot about like the one to many kind of aspect of things of marketing, of messaging, of creating content. And you've mentioned uh, a few of the things that you do, like on the coaching side, um, but I want to talk about that. Like, is it, sure. well, it's a little more hands-on. It feels like it might be more specific, more deliberate interactions with, with people. Um, yeah. Is your approach to creating, you know, moments that resonate, content that uh, resonates, affinity, all of the things that we've talked about, does it change at all when you sort of switch to that more hands-on, more specific side of things? Or is it just sort of like the, the, the micro within the macro? Yeah. So I'll take this question to mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm coaching somebody or if I'm listening and I'm working one-to-one -one or communicating one-to-one, -one, how to resonate with that person who's the second one. Right. Right. Okay. So yes, I do. I have, I do small group coaching. I have one-to-one -one interactions like with you. And you know, so this is very familiar to me and I, I I'm fascinated by this. Um, it's very similar, but I think it requires sort of a hidden fourth or first a, I mentioned three A's you should remember to like cement the idea of resonance in your mind. It's align, is your message or your experience somehow aligning with where they're at, helping them feel seen? Does it map to their current life experience, beliefs, biases, et cetera? Even if you'd like those to change, you can't change people unless you meet them where they're at. So first, did you align? Did they then feel amplified and decide to take an action? So those three A's. I, I'm realizing more and more now, there's a the hidden first A, which is very simply ask. Like mm. When you're interacting one-to-one, -one, 
and someone go, this happened to me with like, I I wrote about this in my newsletter this week. I was in my twenties and I remember being on a panel in Boston and I had a little bit of momentum with like some creative projects and I was feeling pretty good. My speaking business was starting to tick up and I was asked to speak on this panel for creators and creative people, creative professionals. And this, this woman asked me, she said, Jay, this question's for you. You know, you do a lot of projects and I'm struggling to be prolific like that. How do I be prolific? And I rifled through all these different answers. Like, what can I say? I want to sound smart. I want to sound inspiring. What do I say? And then I was starting to run out of time to the point that it was getting awkward. And I was like, you just need to start creating. Now, I believe that. I believe there's no book or podcast or blog post that'll substitute for you actually creating things if you want to be prolific or better at the craft. I believe that. But that was such a flippant, ignorant answer because the word just got in the way. Mm. Because I, I, I am privileged. I grew up in a way that's privileged. And the, you know, when I was born, the door labeled confidence was ajar for me. And so creative confidence, the confidence to do any work at all, never an issue for me through no fault of my own. Through it was my parents, the circumstances of my birth, and the way they, you know, brought me up. I'm very lucky in that way. Perhaps she didn't go through that experience. And so her problem is not creating things. What she's actually asking is not how to create content, but how to create confidence. And I just sort of flippantly ignored that or couldn't access it unless I said, that's interesting. Have you tried to create anything before? What's holding you back? Where are you struggling? What have you tried to do to solve it? And where did that solution still go awry? You know, asking questions, investigating, especially when it's a one-to-one interaction is the conduit to you being able to align instead of what we usually do is another A word, which is even more dangerous. Instead of asking, we assume. We start just saying, well, if you're like me, the way I got here is I just made a lot of stuff. I had side projects. I wrote for the company blog. I pitched people in different departments to write for their blogs. I pitched magazines. Like the confidence to create, however, was never in question for me. So it didn't even cross my mind at age 27 on that panel that someone on a panel could tell this person just create and they could nod, but then go home and not create. That never crossed my mind because I'm so privileged because I failed to ask questions. So one-to-one, this is even more potent. Obviously, we want to do this at scale for one-to-many interactions, but one-to-one, it absolutely falls flat sooner. It's more obvious because you're acting more like a mentor and mentors by design are tailoring and customizing. And it's not an interview like this. You're trying to be like, well, tell me more about that. Like Ernie, you work for this company. Don't they have that set up? Oh, they do. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. Now I can tailor my answer to you. So I tack on that fourth A or even first, I think is a better way to say it. It's ask that equips you to bring empathy and align. And if you can do that, then they feel amplified and feel that sudden urge to act. Mm. Well, I can't think of a better way to to kind of wrap this up than than that right there. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for for the insights, the expertise, all of the... uh, just the the scientific definition of resonance, honestly. <laughs> I mean, that that is something that's going to be, uh, I'm going to have to reckon with that for a while. But uh, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Whew. Uh, man, I'm going to have to think about some of the things that Jay mentioned there for a while. First, being deliberate. Thinking about email as a product, not just a way of communicating. And to the point earlier about working to become your customer's favorite rather than the best, This is one way that you can make that happen. Treat every email, automated or personal, as a product. And when you look at it the way that Jay laid out, it it really is. They've signed up for your email list. 
They want to hear from you about a particular thing or because they like what you're saying, because you solve a problem for them, and because something that you did or said resonated with them. Don't take that for granted. Every time you press send on an email or publish a tweet or a blog post or anything, you have to go into that interaction knowing that you're continuously trying to earn their attention, earn their engagement, and ultimately earn their business. Just because you're not selling to them at that moment doesn't mean that moment isn't going to make a difference when you are selling to them. There are no throwaway moments. Every moment in communication should seek to align, to amplify, and to spur action. And also, as Jay mentioned, the hidden first day. You should seek to ask. Ask for context, for clarification, for replies, for feedback. Ask for information so that you're always better informed and prepared to create the content, the solutions, the products and services that actually matter to your audience. Remember, you can't control the outcome, but you can control the effort. And the more focused effort that you exert in the right areas, trying to understand your audience, trying to align with them, the better your results will be. So get out there and listen to the signals. Learn about your audience, what their vibrations are, and then match those vibrations and amplify them. Resonate with them and create content that matters. That's our show for today. Thank you all for listening and for watching. I hope you got as much value from that conversation with Jay as I did. Until next time, I'm Ernie. This is Plantasia. This has been Growth Decoded. Go forth and automate. Thanks for listening to Growth Decoded to Go. For the latest updates on Growth Decoded and links to the live show, you can sign up to be a part of the Grow team at activecampaign.com slash events slash growth hyphen decoded.